0: I'm Tom.
1: This is Matt here.
0: And I'm Graham. And We have a special disaster-themed episode for you today. (laughs) We're going to talk about political strife between Russia and Saudi Arabia. And that is kind of the undercurrent of the larger discussion, which is coronavirus. Anyway, we're going to get a lot of subjects, including the political repercussions of both these events. So, without any further ado. You're listening to The Slavic Connection. Brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome to The Slavic Connection. Today we have a special Matt and Tom and Graham. Thanks for coming, guys. I appreciate it. Of course. We have an agenda. We are Slavic-focused, so there is an agenda. And there's actually Slavic news that is affecting the world and Mm -hmm. not just affecting... The crease department at UT, so that's pretty exciting. We got an oil spat. Yeah, Matt, you want to? How do you want to go about this? Yeah, I can kind of.
1: Yeah, I'll give us kind of the general sense of what's going on, and you know, we can obviously talk about it. So, uh, the OPEC Plus deal, as it was called, fell through. Uh, Which
0: do you want to explain OPEC Plus?
1: Yes, the idea is that OPEC, obviously the organization of uh, petroleum exporting countries, is a cartel. But to control oil prices with the rise of other oil-producing states outside of the the cartel like Russia, they need other countries to also cut for them to still be an effective cartel. So there's been kind of this arrangement since at least 2014, but really informally much longer where um, Russia, most of all, but I think a few other countries outside of OPEC, also agreed to cut to basically participate in the cartel. And so they had an agreement whereby OPEC countries had cut production and also Russia had cut production to support prices. And basically that deal, which had existed for uh, several years, um, it went through it went through a a phase around 2014 where it all where it fell through. And uh, there was a very different Saudi Arabian uh, oil minister at the time who wanted to wage war against U.S. shale. But uh, they kind of cut his holy war against U.S. shale short. Economic, economic, war. and so it, we didn't. I mean, the 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 low prices. The prices dropped into the twenties for a little bit, but they weren't long enough to to really shut down the shale industry. Now, what what looks like, and based off the reporting that we've seen, it was the Russians who showed up at this meeting in Vienna, where everybody thought that they were going to just renew the deal, keep it going, mm-hmm. and the Russians go up to them and say. Um, no, you know we don't think that this is our interest. We think the lo- what's in our interest long term is to go down U.S. shale, you know, oil producers, which is just if you look at the graphs, it's just mm-hmm. keeps going up and up and up, and they're just eating more and more of our market share. And if we don't do anything, we're just going to lose more and more market share. Right. And so it was really the this was all the brainchild apparently of Rosneft Igor Sechin, who is the CEO of Rosneft, and he kind of presents this to the administration, and eventually they go and present to OPEC. Apparently. Saudi Arabia, first of all, was just stunned that they were doing this. They didn't know what to say. The negotiations fell through. And then once this happens, then it's basically like, well, we got to go along with you mm-hmm. now. If you're going to, we have to join the same price war. And so, um, uh, Saudi Arabia immediately kind of upped the ante. They said that we're going to increase production. We're going to flood the market too. And so now this is, it's uh, really, a, it's kind of a funny. It's mainly a spat between Saudi Arabia and Russia, but the, the target, <laughs> is right. actually the United States. And
0: the failure in that. So, say oil is around $45, shale is pretty uncompetitive at 45. Right. You're already eating into US shale. Yeah. If you go to $30, like shale is still uncompetitive. It yeah. doesn't really change the US math that much. Mm-hmm. It completely changes the Russian math, which
2: I'm
1: sure yeah. can jump in. So, right, the Russian budget, the federal budget is only balanced I believe at $42.5 a barrel. So, anything if the oil price falls below that, that means that the Russian government is running a deficit, which is bad for the ruble, it makes the ruble weaker, and it, and it, it, the ruble can get weaker. Yeah. Oh, it can get even yeah. it can get even weaker, and so that's kind of the, the main danger. And Putin has also had this whole ideological thing where he doesn't like to have external debts. He doesn't right. He doesn't want to be indebted to other right. countries, and so and there's also this obviously the the average production price for countries, particularly Saudi Arabia and in Russia, countries like that. The average price of extraction is basically a state secret. Mm-hmm. And so socially, Russia needs up that forty-two and a half right now. But the actual cost of production, a lot of reserves will go off, particularly offshore, um, traditional reserves. But but kind of still, there's there's other reserves that are very easy to extract, where that where the price is more in the twenties. So the idea is that they will continue to pump. Uh, Saudi Arabia, on the other hand, one of one of those numbers is lower, and the other is higher. Socially, their budget is only balanced at eighty dollars a barrel. Mm-hmm. So Saudi Arabia is really hurting. Right now, but on the other hand, their actual cost of production at their famous traditional fields is as low is rumored to be as low as eight or nine dollars a nothing. barrel. It's nothing, so they can get this oil out of the ground and into barrels for just nothing. There is kind of that tension.
0: With all that in mind, and so this isn't to say that anyone who produces above a certain level is going to shut down shop. Like you said, everyone has access to cheaper fields and more expensive fields. It's, you know, the Russian Arctic projects are going to have to be put on hold. It's the Saudi Arabian, I guess, their more social things are going to actually be disturbed. With all this in mind, who do you think can bear this price war more? Because it's definitely, it is self-defeating for both of them. It is not really making their enemies weaker either.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a classic game of chicken. It's it's just very funny. It's uh, you know, it's a it's a machismo deal at this point, where now Russia just each side wants to show that no, that we're stronger. No, will mm-hmm. will we're we'll, we're we yeah. have a stronger hand in the situation. And but there's arguments on both sides, right, as we right. just pointed out, right? Uh, Saudi Arabia has the social vulnerability. Russia has the, the the factual vulnerability of how expensive a lot of its reserves are. And so it'll, it's really interesting to see who will actually. Withstand this. If you forced me to kind of take a bet, I, oh dear. I mean, it'll be hard for the Russians to back out because they're the ones who started this. Mm-hmm. And so Ru- Saudi Arabia wants more than anything is to say, y- this you started this. This is your fault, and to really show them. Um, so and because Saudi Arabia's reserves really are the cheapest, you would I think it's probably sixty forty in their favor that mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia is kind of better positioned in this.
0: It's interesting just having two parties who like. Do not care at all about audience cost here. Yeah. They're going to do exactly what they want, even if it's totally despite themselves. Right. The biggest losers, I think, are like Iran and Venezuela. Oh yeah. Who are already exporting for dirt cheap that they can't afford, and no. now people no. get that price elsewhere. Yes. This is, I mean, so that can be argued as a win for the U.S. Just that they're weakening two yeah. of our biggest right. ideological opponents. Right. Um, and what I'm gathering economically is just Saudi Arabia is already proposing a lot of budget cuts they're looking to borrow. Russia has been pretty austere for a while when prices were solid, so they have a lot more money in the bank to, you know, both are gonna be blown through the reserves. Saudi Arabia is probably gonna borrow, Russia won't, like you said. Um, but yeah, economically, it can go either way. The big thing is politically. So why don't you talk about the important new development in Russia politics?
1: Yeah. I mean it, it's so fascinating. I mean right, the other major question is why now? Why why would Russia want to start this price war when we when what we thought what was going on in Russia was this new these constitutional amendments that were mm-hmm. going on and the you know succession in in quotation marks right? This whole very important political process where now we are finally figuring out what post Putin when is post Putin Russia going to happen and how what is it going to look like? And it looks like oh, there is, there is a relationship between these two things. This oil started this oil price war. And then and then now, even in a, in a further development, where does where coronavirus come in, uh, come, to the, come into this? Because we see that the, the, the government of Moscow, for example, and places across the country, they're making a public ban on protests because of coronavirus, right? No, right, we don't want people in stadiums. We don't want people on the streets. And um, yeah, I guess I should have said earlier that, obviously, Russia is trying to change its constitution. And that's why people are thinking about um, taking to the streets. And there's several constitutional amendments that were proposed, right, everything from... Right, at first it was all about succession, right, and there was this idea that they were going to make this new government organ called... um, uh, uh, Well, in Russian it's called which means, like, State Council. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is basically going to be where all the ex-presidents go before they die. It's <laughs> um, not kinda... like
0: that's existed in uh, Russia
1: before. Yeah, right? yeah yes. And so the, this Soviet has, as an organ, existed before in Russia, in the, in the Russian Empire. But basically, it's going to be used as this transitionary tool for how presidents in Russia leave <laughs> power. But these amendments give the Russian president way more power. Um, he, can, he can he has way more power over the constitutional court, mm-hmm. Um which is obviously just... It's uh, codified a lot of just what we expected. Right. All um, and so... But then the real shock came just not... You know, just I guess yesterday. Um, is when we found out that um, uh, Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space, proposed an amendment. Um, on the day that they were going to propose these amendments, um, the reporting suggests that this was a, a... At least a semi-improvisation. This was not... Basically, these um, people from the Putin-supporting party, United Russia they are legitimately scared i mean they are very like these are elites who are scared of any of any instability in a post-putin russia because they i mean they have i think you understand why they're scared and she said okay we need to propose this amendment for stability and now you know she does that in this live session of the of the legislature you know what's what's he supposed to do what's he supposed to say and so he you know he supported it and he said you know if you do this i'll support it but i need the constitutional court to say that this is constitutional, it, it's a legal question whether or not the constitutional court should rule on the on the constitutionality of constitutional <laughs> amendments. Uh, there's no precedent for that in, in in Russia, but it pa- obviously passed with just a gigantic majority. I think only 40 people. It was like 364, 40. Against. 40
0: abstained. I don't think anyone actually voted.
1: So I think the I think some com like a, a, a certain okay. number of the communist party mm-hmm. people voted against. But yeah, I no, mean you know, it was. A landslide, obviously, and then of course those those, uh, those amendments went to the Senate. Where only one out of 100 senators voted against them, and then I think three, uh, something like three or maybe six um, abstained. And so these things are going through. And so what people are saying now is that like, oh, th- this was just an opportunity for another backup. Of course, Putin doesn't have to use do these more terms. He just has four more years till he has to decide. And why not slip this gigantic ace card in your back pocket just in case? And so there's kind of debates now whether this whether this is now the the A1 primary succession thing that he's just not there's going to be no succession. Succession is Putin, (laughs) Uh, or whether this was just a a a backup trump.
0: (laughs) And Justice Bell is actually what the succession plan is is that or the new amendment is that it is make it is first of all resetting any term any term limits that have existed. So in 2024 they're pretending like Putin is not a president. Starting then, you can only serve two terms as president and in your lifetime, mm-hmm. total. Mm-hmm. So, Medvedev and Putin, they just can restart and serve two more. That is mm-hmm. what is changing. But yep. it basically lets Putin be in power in
1: 2036. Yes. Right, precisely. Right, as I mentioned before, uh, what's, what's really interesting about this is, right, wh- why continue with this right now during the collapse? Because the original, okay, oil prices start collapsing. The big fear was, oh my gosh, like, oh, the right, I should say. They're also trying to put this to a vote. They don't need to, and it's actually not an, according to the constitutional provisions about a referendum in Russia. This is not even a referendum. This is just what this is just what they're calling a nationwide kind of uh, electoral exercise or, or voting, where they're asking. So they're adding this additional supplementary, non necessary vote among the Russian people, but it's not a referendum because that has its own mm. bylaw procedures that they don't want to do. Um, and a vote of approval. And, oh my gosh, now the economy is collapsing and oh my gosh, now coronavirus. And so there was this whole question of whether, oh my, what does this, does this call into danger that we should do this now? But then they quickly realized, oh no, it's actually the greatest blessing. We can have, there's going to be no protests and people are going to be, you know, afraid and scared. And so, so it's very quickly how the, like the thinking on this amongst even, you know, studied uh, analysts can has been very rapidly de- developing.
0: And before we get into the corona aspect of all this, and Graham you can jump in on that. Yeah um i want to quickly touch on the saudi arabian political framework too because on friday there was the least publicized coup attempt in which three members of the royal family were arrested
1: oh, oh i did see just, this like, yeah yeah
0: totally lost in the shuffle this would be a big deal in most countries of the world yeah. um one of the uh was arrested was mbs's brother yeah, i believe I who was living that. in london yeah. for years so he'd always been kind of a critic of the family and was brought um after uh um, was brought back in the last two years, it was always kind of fraught, and then MPS was like, no, you should probably get out of here. So there's a lot of rumors about, uh, what does this say about his father's health, he's consolidating power, and is this all just a flex to be like, hey, I make the decisions here, we're gonna sell oil at 30, 30 bucks a barrel, and if anyone wants to mess with me, you're gonna end up like that. Saudi Arabian politics as usual. And so as we jump into coronavirus, our research team just let us know that WHO has just declared it a pandemic. So does that mean anything to you guys before we actually dig into it?
2: Yeah. I mean, just for, uh, I guess, for nomenclature purposes, I know we were talking about epidemic versus pandemic. For anybody who's not, you know, great with that, epidemic is obviously just something that affects a community or a region, kind of more specific. And pandemic is, you know, other countries can affect, basically, as Matt said earlier, anybody, you know, any person in the entire world can be affected by it. So just that word, I think it was already kind of at that level, obviously, but putting the term to it is going to really impact public, you know, reaction to this um i was watching a doctor on a radio show last night actually was talking about how yeah three weeks ago uh italy three four weeks ago italy was you know fully functioning doing whatever uh three weeks later it's completely uh flipped on its head and you mentioned before the show started we've got over a thousand cases in america now um but it's really uh you know on especially on uh on the right side of the political spectrum a lot of people are saying well you know what the virus itself is not you know the the Mortality rates are being over-dramatized or dramatized. Um, but it's not really obviously the virus that's going to be the issue. Obviously, economically, in Europe, it's already been huge. Um, in the U.S., we've seen, uh, you know, our, a lot of the stock indexes and all that just take a hit uh, for sure. But um, I know, like, yeah, and, and it's crazy. You see now, like, the sporting events, you know, in uh, Serie A in Italy mm-hmm. is just, you know, no fans. Right. right. They're talking about the same thing in the U.S. We've had, obviously, everybody on campus is talking about school shutting down. That's a huge thing right now. So, uh, you know, the Ivy league just canceled their, uh, tournament just like halfway through. So, um, it's kind of crazy that, uh, I, from what I'd heard, um, just timeline wise, the, the, the doctor I listened to was saying that he thinks it's going to be maybe like, it could be even three to seven more months, something like this, which is kind of crazy because if that's the assumption, we've only been experiencing this since January. So, um, he expected it to get a little bit worse. Um, and you know, there's a bunch, bunch of different projections, um, but it is crazy. I mean, it's obviously February 26th that was spread to South America. Sao Paulo, Brazil uh, got hit, and now it's in Peru. It's in Chile. It's in Colombia. Yeah. It was in uh, Paraguay as of uh, Monday. So uh, this thing definitely can spread a little bit, but yeah. Why do we think that
0: non-Asian countries, there just seemed to be this, like, invulnerability? In right. Early, they were just like, hey, that's in China. That's never going to that. Gonna come to us. And yeah. I mean, I think people were looking at SARS, being like that was very contained. I think yeah. global travel from China was maybe a twentieth of what it was yeah. then. Oh yeah. Why do we think that everyone? I think people were happy. I seriously, mm-hmm. people were like, there was a pride in the fact that we were healthy and they were not. Right. Why were? Why was Western Europe? Why was the U.S.? Why was South America? Resting on the laurels and not doing anything.
2: Yeah. I I think it it honestly. You know, you look at how a lot of people in the West don't have a ton of experience in the East. They don't know how things work as well. But with With this virus, I think a lot of people assume, oh, well, that we inherently have better infrastructure. We have better health services. Our government reacts to things quicker without actually knowing the biological side of the virus that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, if this isn't a bit more of a wake up call for that, obviously, I mean, I'm sure we'll hop into it a little bit more. But there has been, um, you know, violence, some uh, stereotyping about even uh, in America, all over the world, though, Asians all over the world, just some stuff that's not, you know, the most intelligent. No one and else I, I think it. China
0: had to release like a memo to Russia saying like please stop profiling yeah. our citizens on your subway yeah. or something like that is becoming so severe. Yeah. The flip side of that though is wouldn't you want your government just coming up to everyone and taking your temperature like in yeah, this situation? Perfect. Yeah. Russia honestly, was, yeah. Russia was <laughs> the it. most extreme and has been probably one of the most effective in blocking and containing. Them.
1: Yeah, but I don't know how long Russia's. I mean, I think it will continue. Russia has a gigantic land border with um, China, and there's been all kinds of travel between the two spaces. So I think it'll continue to grow. Um, In general, I am very, I guess you would say, bearish about this thing. I mean, I think it's going to be really bad. I think that this labeling of a pandemic is really important for for thinking about the economic, kind of how we should think about the economic uh, um, consequences of our response. Now that the WHO has basically said that everybody at some point will be exposed to this virus, they're basically saying that this is unavoidable. So don't, I mean, yes, try to limit for the purpose of, again, well, this idea of um, uh, not overflowing the public healthcare system, but because everybody's going to get it, you shouldn't be taking ridiculous over-the-top things to limit the spread because every, any, everybody's going to get it anyway. So don't, hey, probably don't shut down the New York City metro because everybody's going to get it anyway. And mm. doing something like that might, you know, limit the spread in certain ways. But is it is that really worth the economic consequence if we've already admitted Statement, that everybody's yeah. going to get it anyway? So, you know, I think that even if we're, if some of the, you know, we obviously, us three, we're very lucky that we're not the um, risk. We're not at risk for, you know, being right. seriously harmed by but I think that the economic consequences of coronavirus will be just gigantic. If, you know, the the, the total shutdown of Chinese cities where there's nobody on the streets, there's no, there's hardly any a- economic activity taking place. If that's coming to Italy and that's coming to the whole Western world, then yeah, I mean, this is going to be a gigantic recession. And just to, to tie what we were talking about earlier with the oil, um, to kind of make this more clear, this is really, this is in number two. In number two, we've only had one case, kind of in history, where we have seen a gigantic increase in the oil supply during a climate of macroeconomic decline. That was the Great Depression. That was when Texas oil in the 1930s was taking was shooting supply way up when it wasn't needed when the economy was was depressed. This is the, the second time in history that those thing two things are happening tightly simultaneously. So it's really going to send oil prices way down, which on the other hand should be a stimulus for economies like the United States. But, I mean, if public transport shuts down, which is already being talked about, um, you know, if the the D.C. subway goes down, if uh, San Francisco, uh, BART, and obviously the New York City subway, the second one of those major public transportation systems goes on, we're talking about thousands tens of thousands of businesses going the um, and, of and that and that never happened during the 2008 financial crisis mm-hmm. right so that's a that's a hit to the consumer sector and the uh, commercial banking system like we we yeah. haven't seen
2: I was going to say and and you talk about even here in Austin businesses struggle to keep up with the 2 to 3 months that students are out of town just mm-hmm. here locally in Austin you look nationally if if this thing is projected to go on if this goes 6 plus months there there's nothing in a business model that that would really account for that. That's really, really tough. Um, so yeah, I mean, small, obviously we, we hear about corporations and stock prices, um, super volatile right now, but the small businesses are really what are going to get nailed by this, um, across the board. Um, and then the crazy thing too, is you talk about kids, obviously it doesn't affect kids very much, but, uh, I know there's a lot of debate right now, whether for younger kids, at least obviously, you know, um, in, in China, the, something like less than 2% of cases are, you know, kids 18 and younger. So they were debating, um, well, what's the point if, if, you know, if we bring them home from school, these kids have, a lot of these kids have parents that themselves are healthcare providers. So if you have a healthcare provider that has to stay home for their kid, then you can't go take care of, you know, somebody 70 years old, Mm. who's really being affected by this. So that's been a debate, but yeah. And then the same thing in America, we're kind of, uh, you know, and, and, and it all kind of goes back to we're you know, we're, I, I think doctors are trying to find researchers are trying to find vaccines for this, but I don't think they're necessarily close. I kind of agree with Matt that I, I, I'm definitely a bit bearish on this as well. Um, that yeah, not a ton of progress on the vaccines and okay. just, we don't understand this thing biologically very well. Um, so I mean, you still have a ton of people wear, I mean, masks aren't even really, they haven't proven to be very successful, mm-hmm. um, themselves. And we still have, you know, millions and millions of people that are freaking out and, you know, buying those off the shelves as quickly as possible. So we just got, we don't really understand this thing very well. And We've also seen economically,
0: you know, the businesses that really benefit from lower, lower gas prices are travel. Yep. And people exactly. are, if you have more money in your pocket, you're going to spend more. <laughs> people are not buying, people are not going to LLB right yeah, now. You can't right even now. use that that the
1: gas that's so cheap. And yeah. I'm not going yeah. to
0: fly somewhere if I think I'm going to get sick. So yeah. the only benefit that usually cancel out the fact that we're exporting yeah. less are being canceled
1: there's some. Out. There's some really great like ways that this affects like uh, equity prices. So uh, airline stocks usually uh, yep. are highly correlated with draw, jet fuel gas prices. This is the greatest decoupling of, uh, of uh, airline stocks from uh, gas prices that we've mm-hmm. ever seen, right? Because of these, uh, you know.
0: Procter you know. and Gamble's probably doing pretty
1: well. I yeah. think yeah.
0: if I had my money no in doubt. place. No <laughs> right. The bigger question, I think, if we're going to think about this in our global, cosmopolitan way, why do we see Eastern countries being more effective in containing this than Western countries? China's obviously put extremely draconian measures. They're arresting people, they're policing the streets. South Korea has not, they have not done any of that. And yet they pretty much stopped this. It's pretty much was one city that was um, infected because of one megachurch. But they haven't shut down cities, they haven't shut down travel, they've done a good job blocking it the best they can but they aren't policing the way you've seen in China. In Japan, too, they have not put harsh restrictions in anywhere, they cancel school very quickly, but I think the cases are about 500. They obviously have a huge cost of the Olympics and they're gonna do anything in the world to make that happen. Why have they been successful? In Italy, we see absolute failure. As Merkel said, two thirds of the citizens are gonna be infected, who knows what that means, but, but I've seen just a different Western ethic of dealing with this than I have in the East.
1: Yeah, I that? mean, I, I know that like public health experts on Twitter, for example, have been,
0: re- been really—that's <laughs> quite uh, a damning phrase. I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Uh, I do, I do follow some some of these people who are kind of big public health people, and a lot of them are really saying that the South Korean um, response was the, the most um, effective response. I didn't, I didn't read the details to kind of understand it's a, tweet, uh, I mean. it's a tweet, right? I so I don't, I'm not really privy to exactly what they've done so well but no i think it all does kind of come back to you know things that you would suspect things like um kind of culture and ideology and particularly you know in the west um we really value you know kind of into freedom and this and kind of this but you know there's this kind of banal notion of bucking authority and stuff like that and that all that all plays a role right Um, when people feel like they can oh oh, here let me just go take out the trash or oh let me just go run and get some milk oh let me just And you have you know all of these people doing that and that that's what allows it to keep spreading and so i think that i i think it is i I think you can say that in asia um a lot of people are um kind of more willing to trust authority where in the west there's all you know a lot of institutions are in crisis um
2: more social responsibility likely yeah i was going to say with with you know greater individual liberty freedoms like that I think that it does it does it's kind of almost at odds with especially I mean, this is almost a nightmare situation for that because it's just kind of a public health crisis this is a time when places with strong governments and people that are willing to adhere to those governments uh, what they say um you know it probably is just culturally governmentally the best uh way to handle that obviously um and yeah I I I kind of just you know piggybacking on what Matt said I, I definitely think it is Uh, the west and the east are definitely always look at things differently from world order to you know just in general um but yeah and then and then in the u.s too it's just kind of crazy that this is happening near the election which obviously now has just the the crazy thing here is just that it's been super politicized right you know which honestly you would expect we're so divided right now that anything is just going to be taken for you know uh political fodder basically but yeah i mean i keep seeing i talk about twitter and social media like everybody's like well you can go back to you know there was some there was you know, something in 2000 and 2002 and 2004, and they go all the way up and you talk, you know, they're like, well, a lot of this stuff is just um, used by the media to push certain candidates or whatever, whatever. And I think that honestly hurts a little bit in it too, because if you can't have at least a unified front on a, you know, public health issue, then that's, you're hopeless, right? That's
0: And if you're using, like, congressional elections too in your yeah. database yeah being propaganda like that's every other year
2: i was gonna There's say that well that's silly what it was yeah i was know, like i, I saw there. one that
0: was like yeah sars is 2004 it's like yeah. sars is 2002 to 2004 yeah exactly so i mean these things last pretty much have an 18 month window like mm-hmm. if you're actually gonna start talking about it stop talking about it yeah and like no one's talking about ebola mm-hmm. in the drc right now too, no it killed like 3,000 yeah. people yeah So there is an epidemic all the time.
1: (laughs) And and I think that's the funny part. Like for me, it's um, it's funny that we're in the early stages of this. And I know that a lot of universities are saying like, hey, we're not going to resume classes until, um, you know, take an extra week after spring break or, you know, April 6th or I mean, yeah, What, what makes you think? it's going to be any right. better on april 6th man I, like the, as you said I, these, I, these these things I, are going to these epidemics are not going to go away in a month or two right this is going to be a year year and a half
0: so what do you, what do you make of the school of canceling because i mean I, how i view it is i think just as an administrator you don't want to be the person who makes the decision because exactly. it turns out people
1: get so oh, absolutely it's a yeah. legal liability it's the, the lawsuit would be, I, I'm not saying whether it's frivolous or not, this is just what you I think, think it will be lawsuits. Though? Oh just, yes, yeah. I think it'll be, oh, you failed to shut down your school in time. That's gross negligence yeah. and you endangered you wanted your responsibilities to look after the health and safety of uh, your, your student of the students and faculty who you know, work and, and right. pay, pay to attend this institution. and you failed to protect them. That's what the lawsuit is going to look like, gross negligence. And so I think that's why they, ha- they feel forced. Opt- mm-hmm. They're basically forced to do this. Um, and now that other public institutions are doing it, I mean, UT is just it's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I'd just like to preface it by saying, you know, I definitely don't envy the position that our administrators are in. You know, President Fendez, everything like that. Yeah. That is a tough situation right. to be in, no doubt. Um, obviously, they're watching. We've had, uh, I think A&M, what is it, today or yesterday, said that they were going to be a week after spring break. Um, and so obviously everybody knows about Harvard, Stanford, Rice, I mean, Nesca schools, no one cares about, but my hometown. Really? Okay. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Add that one to the list. So I, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely a little bit crazy. I, I, I kind of agree with Matt that I'm not a hundred percent sure how a big thing is just, you know, as an undergrad here taking these classes is like, um, obviously there are some classes that transfer better online than others. Um, yeah. so if you're taking a class that requires a lab or you're doing something more hands on, how are you supposed to, and, and, and I know at an elementary school level, they've taken what they've, the strategy they've used is they've said, all right, let's take like a week off or, you know, three, three five days off. And we're going to use that time to train our teachers to say, Hey, this mm. is how you guys are going to, uh, adjust to this. And this is how you are going to start teaching your lessons from now on. Um, and how to use online platforms. Uh, so, um, I think one, yeah, so it's just going to be, it's definitely going to be, uh, something that we're going to have to adjust to, but again, the efficacy of it is going to be a little bit tough. I do think it makes sense. A lot of people were talking about it's after spring break, I definitely think something has to be looked at because kids are, you know, I mean, I'm going to travel. I think a lot of other kids are going to travel as well. Yeah. There's no way to stop that. Um, so particularly, I mean, you look at like, uh, it's kind of crazy that spring break season is coming up and Latin America is one of the least affected places, right? So that's, how's this going to spread? Right, exactly. So you're going to have more people saying, oh, that's, you know, whatever. I'll go to, you know, Mexico, I'll go wherever. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we'll see how that works. But That's interesting like, people are
0: going to travel. We can't stop that. I was talking to someone close to me. I won't say their name, but it was my brother. And he was just like, (laughs) I'm going to get, I'm probably going to get sick regardless. And we have plans for a spring break. So I'm going to travel because it doesn't really change my math. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's true, but you're changing everyone else's math. Because, For Because sure. like mm-hmm. you are increasing the chances you're going to get sick now. So you're starting to right. spread potentially earlier, which is more stress on our public health
2: system. Right. Which, and yeah, and the worst part is that, that a, a big, you know, I talked about how biologically we don't have a great understanding how this works. A big aspect of the virus is that people have been shown to spread it and have like the highest mm-hmm. levels of the virus in their bodies, sometimes even before they have symptoms. Mm-hmm. So you could have somebody spread it to five, 10, 15 people and then three days later, they're like, oh, I have a cough. I think I might maybe, you know. So by that time, that's what, I think that's what public health officials from the beginning have just been horrified of. Right. The transmission of this is crazy.
1: Right. And I, I know there was a great piece on Vox.com and I think, it, you know, the graph at least from it certainly like went viral on a lot of places of, right, what what's the utility of, okay, okay I'm going to get coronavirus within the next, you know, at least five, six months eventually, right? I'll get it now rather than um, later. Why not just get it now rather yeah. than later? And right, and it's exactly this question of, trying to flatten the stress on the public health system as much as possible. So, you know, somebody thinking, um, no way, you know, it doesn't matter for me. I'm not at risk. Why can't I just travel? It writes exactly this question of who else you're going to affect and how do we spread the burden on, on the public health system and hospitals as thinly as possible because we do not have (laughs) open beds in American hospitals, um, to the extent that places like South Korea, Oh, that, that, that is one of the things that South Korea did really well is they had a lot of uh, it was like one of the highest proportions of hospital beds per capita, right? Mm-hmm. So things like yeah. that.
0: In China could build a hospital. And, you
1: know, yeah, yeah, years. I saw it was, that 10 well, it days. Yeah. Collapsed.
0: yeah,
2: exactly, I saw that, yeah. So, you know,
0: 10,000 stay up when yeah. it collapses. And I think,
2: I think the, that facility itself was made into a hospital, but I think it was built in 2018. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so it was, it was built within the last couple of years, uh, which people are kind of confused as to why it didn't architecturally stand up, but that's a definite, you know, it's very sad.
0: So we end maybe we try to you know, pull back a little bit on the yeah. alarmism. I think yeah. when you look at this online, people are just like, there is the, we're gonna die. And it is it is totally the left is like, Trump screwed up, we're gonna die. It's a political failure of people are getting sick. On the right, it's the flu has killed 20,000 people this year. We don't freak out about that. Yeah, it's they fake, screwed it's, up the vaccine. News, so. so where, how do we reckon with the flu has killed 20,000 people side? Because it has like, the flu is, right now is killing more people we don't understand the coronavirus though is my fear we don't know we don't have the mechanics of it and we don't always have the mechanics of the flu though.
1: yeah i mean that's a that's a tough question just because you know i'm not obviously none of us are med- medically you know none of us are
0: economists viral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, it, yeah, we yeah. should yeah we should uh, <laughs> like
1: disc- disclaimer all all, yeah. all, all, all everything say. 100 percent of what we say <laughs> but yeah oh no i i just had a thought about it's you know even if you know, we don't know how. You know, medically, there's still a lot to figure out. But the economic, I mean what we do know is that the economic consequences are 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 going to be so. Whether real. it's
0: real or not, that whether
1: real. it's real or not, that is absolutely um, real. And so, I, what I'm real, what I'm really fascinated about is is the people making the decisions of do we shut down the New York City Metro station, who do they have to clear that decision with, because those are the kinds of decisions that you're going to have pu- public health officials saying one thing, you're going to have. Uh, the business economic when you saying one thing, these are these things are going to have to go to people like the presidents mm-hmm. and governors and they are going to have to put, they are going to have, you know, these elected officials are going to have to make these gigantic value adjustments of cause a recession or cause X number of more deaths. Which is probably going to cause a recession. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Which <laughs> is gonna, <laughs> yeah, which, yeah So... So I mean, I, and it's 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 going to be from almost even from a kind of a philosophy standpoint. It's almost like the trolley problem or something. It's like yeah. some it's some like some moral dilemma of what amount of economic um, because oh because people die when the GDP contracts, right? Yeah. I mean that that there's a direct correlation there too. Unemployment
0: when they, goes up five percent, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I can't remember the stat, but it, it was in the movie The Big Short. But like That's for,
0: exactly what
1: I was. Quoting. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. For every forty thousand people die, yeah, exactly. Right? Brad Pitt, you know, getting serious. Um, Right. So so people die just from the economic contraction. Um, And so, right. You know, who's going to walk into Governor Cuomo's office or, you know, Governor Abbott's office and say, you know, this this number will die from coronavirus. This number will die from the economic contraction of the of the steps we need to take to try to slow the spread of the virus.
2: Yeah, I was going to say just to add on to that, I, I can definitely sympathize with aspects of both sides. Right. There is obviously frustration that uh, people on the left feel that the Trump administration uh, for public health, like emergency relief and things like that, taking a step back from that. Um, and on the right, I mean, it is you, you, you people have a tendency to, uh, I mean, it's a lot why a lot of people have even issues with climate change or things like that, that if it's not right in front of me, or if it's not evidently right. apparent to me, then why should I, you know, it's like, well, I heard that the mortality rates, like, you know, anywhere from 0. 0.6 to 2%, and it's mostly immunocompromised people. Mm-hmm. So why should I care about this? Um, and I think it just takes, you You have to kind of look beyond that. I agree, but, you know, economically it's going to be big. And in terms of comparing it with the flu, um, we were comparing it, you know, well, this is how many cases we have compared to the flu, like, you know, all this. And But that was only three weeks into the virus, you know. So, again, you just have to look at how this thing's going to play out. And I think, um, yeah, I definitely don't want to be an alarmist or say anything like that, but there's no indication that this is going to all of a sudden just stop. So, uh, and obviously we have years and years and years of experience with uh the flu and how to treat that we have just so behind on how how you know truly look at this uh virus so um there's no reason to believe it's not going to continue to grow and -hmm. i think it's going to definitely exceed the number of you know uh, flu cases for sure so we're just going to be a disaster the economy because you can you can be i have a sore throat i don't feel great but what are you doing yeah no no no, not me personally yeah i was going to (laughs) say hypothetically you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do that to you guys if I was doing that. But <laughs> hypothetically, you, if if you're just going to live under the weather, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to get a sandwich today. I'm not that hungry. You know, if fifty thousand other people are doing that in your city, right. then you're, you know, these shops are going to get crushed. So.
0: And if you eat everything, brother, that I'm telling you to eat,
1: you never need a doctor no more. I think the another, the other interesting angle on this for from kind of an international. Uh, standpoint is the kind of the strategic communications and um, ideological messaging. And then even as far as things like fake news revolving around this, I remember that when it started, there were uh, certain Russian politicians were saying, ah, you know, this is obviously uh, an American bioweapon created to uh, wage war uh, against against China. Um, <laughs> I wonder how those, people, right? Yeah, so let's, let's tank both those countries' economies, and <laughs> they think somebody else is going to wind up better from that. But you know, but then even in the United States, we have we have elected officials who are calling it China coronavirus or Chinese coronavirus. This racist, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. not a medical term. It's basically a, a racist um, labeling of the virus, but for a strategic right. communications messaging political p- political purpose. And so I think that as this thing kind of continues to grow and have its economic consequences, there's going to be the blame game, the political mm-hmm. geopolitical blame game. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see how that shakes out.
0: I think I like that you brought up Charlie problem because, you know, all the college freshmen in the world can solve it, actually.
1: <laughs> 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 ah, yes, of course. yeah. Uh, but, but the
0: big thing is, I mean... Yeah. I think a politician making a decision that is going to cause an economic problem versus making a decision that is going to cause a viral problem—you feel way more responsible for the viral one.
1: I feel like mm-hmm.
0: economics—it happens all the time; it goes up and down. Mm-hmm. There's a little like hands-off.
1: It's funny—I can—I can hear somebody in my head say, making the exact opposite case. That Whoa! What you, you can really control—the economics, viruses—you can't control. I got that. an I A in just...
0: trolley class my freshman year, so. Philosophy, <laughs> awesome. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we have any last words on oil or Corona? This is a
2: fraught week. I was Fantastic gonna, for podcasts. Yeah, but. I was going to say it's definitely a week for podcasts. Uh, I'm just kind of curious to see when this all does blow over, and um, however many months that's going to be, uh, what what kind of China's response and how China looks in the months afterwards. Um, uh, obviously, they've been struggling a little bit with the whole One Belt One Road initiative in the past, you know, few years here. So, um, I I'm just legitimately curious. In that, what is it, China 2025? Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm legitimately curious to see how they respond to this um, when they're so used to, you know, China's such a power. They're an economic giant yeah. over there. And this is really, you know, we thought SARS, they thought SARS was bad. This is going to be totally different. And the, the fact that this is spread on an international level is just kind of they're losing face everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, for better, or for worse. Uh, or, you know, but yeah. So I'm curious about that
1: yeah i meanwhile i I definitely think that the 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 formulations china coronavirus or chinese coronavirus are absolutely racist. I do think that um that China will still receive a lot of pressure and criticism for its handling of this and kind of and i I know that you know in in Europe and you know in other places in the world there's going to be this idea that it was you know the Chinese system and the Chinese government that really that allowed this to happen and they're going to, and there's going to be a lot of games. So I really anticipate China to kind of launch a, you know, a a fairly robust for Chinese standards kind of information and strategic communications campaign to kind of say, Hey, look, wait, we, we've shut down these open air, these wet markets, and we've done this and that and it, it won't happen again. And so I think that, you know, China is generally a country. Um, I mean, it's trying to, um, to to make the appearance that it, it learns from its mistakes and so I think that they, they're gonna they're gonna try to they, they will make progress on that.
0: Um. Yeah, I definitely do expect a political reckoning in Europe over yeah, this yeah. you this is a hard thing to keep your job during. That's what shows why OG is so strong. Like this has all happened and people are like, hey did he do the best job with this like <laughs> in in other countries this would be like a revolt. Oh yeah. And it's just right. well they can't go outside so it's not yeah. happening. guys, this was great. Yeah, Hopefully next sense. time we speak well, maybe there's worse news. It's more fun. Yeah, time. yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's great. <but crazy>. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully things get a little better. But thanks for coming. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Tom. The views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Please visit SlavexRadio.com for more information. Thank you for listening. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University
1: of Texas at Austin. Thank you.